All right, uh, if you guys have been here, or if you guys were here last week, you know we started a new sermon series called Glorify and Joy Forever, and this sermon series is simply just a study in Psalm 34. It's been a really, really good series so far, and uh, Josh Knight is going to come up and preach uh, uh, verses 4 through 8 of Psalm 34, and so if you will, uh, pull out your Bibles, and if you don't have one, we have a blue Bible in front of you in the seat under there. And uh, we'd love for you to open it up, and you can open up to page 513, page 513. And actually, if you are able, will you stand with me as we read God's Word? Uh, we want to do this in an act of just uh, really honoring His Word. We believe that the Spirit talks to us through this Word. And so, um, here it is, Psalm 34, verses 4 through 8. I sought the Lord, and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John. Good morning, Flourishing Grace. How are we? Good. It's good to be with you guys this morning and jumping back into Psalm 34. Uh, I'm excited to continue in our series. This is a short little series uh, of just four weeks in Psalm 34. We try to hit, hit at least one psalm every year. This year we get to do two, right? We did Psalm 90, uh, kind of late winter. In uh, the spring we hit Psalm 90, and now we're going to hit Psalm 34 together. For those of you who are brand new, my name is Josh Knight, I'm the pastor of Preaching and Vision here at Flourishing Grace. And kind of as you listen to John, there's so many things happening constantly here at Flourishing Grace. Um, and we'd love to get you plugged in, get you connected. We have several events going on this week that are just purely fun, purely to help you get connected. Kind of our, we have these things called communities. Tomorrow night, our North Salt Lake and Woods Cross community is gathering. They're doing food trucks in Legacy Park. Uh, this coming weekend, our Bountiful Centerville community is getting together. They're doing like an outdoor backyard movie and games night. You can find all of that stuff on our website, flourishinggrace.org slash events. Everything that John talked about. We'd love to get you plugged in, get you connected, and help you find people who love Jesus and want to spur you on into a relationship with him. And as we get into uh, this psalm this morning, I hope that, that uh, this kind of begins that for you, that you would long for Jesus more at the end of today uh, than you did when you came in. Last week, we talked about, um, we kind of set this up and talked about where this psalm comes from, right? This psalm comes from a moment in David's life uh, where David is fleeing. He's running for his life. He's, he's running away from King Saul, right? This is a large section of uh, 1 Samuel. David is on the run from his life. King Saul wants to kill him because God um, has anointed David as king. He said to Saul, you're, because of your sin, you're no longer king. And David, I'm anointing David to be king. And Saul says, mm, I don't think so. Saul refuses to relinquish his, his throne. He says, I am not going to, I'm not going to go easy. I'm not going to go quietly. And I'm going to hunt down David and kill him. And then I can continue to be king. What, what now, right? Saul, this foolish man who, is, who suffers from the fear of man, is hunting down and, and to kill David. And so David's on the run for his life. And he, be, he gets captured, not by Saul, but by the Philistines. 
David is captured by kind of the, the, the second people who want to kill him most, the Philistines. David has embarrassed the Philistines. Right? He, remember, he kills David, or David kills Goliath, um, and he is an embarrassment to the Philistine. He destroys the Philistine army, which is another embarrassment of the Philistines. So the Philistine king wants to see David dead almost as much as King Saul. And he's captured. He's brought in before uh, the Philistine king, and David proceeds to fake insanity, right? He just begins to like drool all over the place and he's grunting and tearing his clothes and scratching at the ground and the Philistine king is just like, like what, what, this is not David. This is not the great warrior who has defeated the Goliath. This is not, this is not David. Get him out of here. Like what have you brought into my presence? And so they throw him out of the city and David flees to a, to a cave where he in, proceeds to invite his family and friends to come and just declare the sweetness and the goodness of the Lord. And so we, we looked at those first three verses last week where David, where David says, man, let's, let's praise the Lord. Let us magnify the Lord together. Let us exalt his name together, right? We, we looked at those first three verses last week. And today we're going to look at why. What is it? Why does David want to praise the Lord with his friends? Why, why does he erupt into this praise? And really, I'll give it to you right out of the gate. It begins, the, the kind of the answer to the question is found right there in verse 4. Our first verse for today says, I sought the Lord and he answered me. David's joy in verses 1 through 3, this, this eruption of praise and this, this longing to do it together is all a result of God hearing and answering his prayer. And this is what we're going to look at together this morning. This David calling us as hearers to be a people of prayer. Come and magnify the Lord because he has answered my prayers. Prayer is the greatest, most powerful tool given to Christians. And we must be people who wield it. David is calling his friends, he's calling his hearers, that's you and me, to be a people of prayer. The great prince of preachers, Charles Spurgeon, said it this way. He said, prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world. Prayer is this powerful, unbelievable thing that moves the hand that moves the world. And David says, come on, let's be a people of prayer. Let, let me show you how God has answered my prayers. And let us be a people who are moved to prayer. At the same time, the reality is, as somebody who's been in ministry for a long time, I know that prayer is one of the hardest things for people to be consistent in, for people to actually love doing, for people to find delight and joy in. And some of you in the room this morning are already skeptical. You're already saying, yeah, Josh, no, 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 I've tried, and it's really hard. Or, or I just don't have time for that. Um, I've tried, but things are, I'm just easily distracted. I'm not very good at it. I don't know what to say when it comes time to prayer. I, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not well versed in that. I can't, I can't pray like certain people can pray. I'm, I, don't, I don't know what to say. The rambling comes out of my mouth like, like what's happening to me right now. Uh, things come out of my mouth and I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. Um, I just, I've prayed prayers. I've prayed prayers. And God hasn't answered them. God doesn't hear my prayers. He doesn't listen to me. Prayer can be a hard thing for us. And so David is going to proclaim that he has experienced this power. David has prayed and God has answered him. And he wants his readers to not just experience it, but enjoy it. 
And again, some of us would say, no, 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 Josh, I have prayed and God has not answered my prayers. God didn't heal my friend. God didn't bring life to the person that I prayed for. God didn't answer my prayers to restore my marriage or to restore my career. He didn't need to answer it. And I, my hope is this morning, here's what I hope, I hope you'll see. First of all, that's not true. God did answer. Maybe, maybe not in the way that you think, but he did answer. And number two, prayer. Prayer doesn't just transform us like by the answer. The act of prayer is a transforming act. Here's the question we're going to ask this morning. What happens when we pray? What, what actually happens when we pray? And we're going to see three things. There's, there's far more than three, but in this text we're going to see three things. First, we're going to see that God hears and answers. God hears and he answers. Every time we pray, God hears and God answers. He responds. Second, we're going to see that we, we are transformed. Not by the answer, but by the act itself. Prayer transforms us. It transforms David. And he's calling us to be a people who are transformed through prayer. And then lastly, we become a people who also then call and exhort others to become people of prayer. Prayer so radically transforms us and we find such a great delight in it that then we become people who call people and exhort people to prayer as well. So let's go ahead and dive in. The first point, God hears and answers our prayers. God hears and answers. What happens when we pray? God hears in answers. We must acknowledge this. Um, there was a time when if, if a preacher was preaching on prayer, he could just assume that the people in the room, at least the followers of Jesus in the room, believed that that's true. That when, when you pray, that God hears your prayers and God answers your prayers. But the truth is, we're becoming more and more of a skeptical people, and we're saying, Man, I don't really know if God does hear my prayers. As I said earlier, right, prayer is becoming a tougher and tougher topic to talk about because we would say, listen, when I prayed that God would save my friend from that disease, he didn't do it. I don't think God heard my prayers. When I prayed that God would provide that job, I didn't get the job. So I don't think God hears my prayers. But what David is declaring, what David is saying is that God has heard him. In verse 4, I sought the Lord and he answered me. Verse 6, this poor man cried and the Lord heard him. Right? David is saying, no, no, no. Listen, God actually heard me. Like the God of the universe, the, the maker and sustainer of all things, heard me. Did I deserve to be heard by him? No, but he heard me. And I would argue that he always does. That he always does. In 1 John, John puts it this way in 1 John 5, 14. He says, and this is the confidence that we have towards him, towards God. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. God is an all-powerful, all-knowing being who can hear every prayer. But more than that, God loves us. And so he does hear every prayer. He hears every prayer. And he responds. He answers. And so for some of us in the room, we might intellectually agree, okay, I believe in God and I believe that God can hear my prayers, but I don't believe he's actually 
cares. I don't think he has actually, he's got bigger things to do. He's God. He's got more important things. He's like regulating the temperature of the sun. That's a little bit more important than what I have to pray. No, no, no. He loves us and he responds to our prayers. He answers them. Jesus puts it this way in Matthew 7, 7 through 11, kind of famously. Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. Then he goes on to give this illustration to his listeners. He says, or which of you... If his son asks him for bread, we'll give him a stone. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If then you men, you fathers who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Jesus is declaring that God promises to give good things to his children who ask him. However... Jesus is not saying that God gives him all the things that we want or exactly what they want or exactly when they want them. But he does give good things to those who ask. Jesus is declaring that God is not just a distant being out there in some space that is not engaged, not really listening, right? He's not, he's not too busy reading the news or scrolling through social media. He's not busy. He is attentive. He is tuned. He is a perfectly loving father who not only hears but longs to hear, wants to hear, and wants to respond with an answer. And the truth is, is that for those of us in the room who are parents, right, the dad specifically in the room that Jesus is talking to, right, the dad specifically, but you don't have to be a parent. This is not a hard thing to understand or wrap your mind around. When your kid is thirsty, right, you're not going to be like, no, you can't have any water because you're halfway decent dad. Listen, I'm not, I'm not the world's greatest dad. I don't have that coffee mug. I don't, I don't own that. I don't, I don't rep that brand. I'm not the world's greatest dad. But I'm not the world's worst dad. If my kid's hungry, I'm going to make sure he gets some food. And, and I also realize that being a decent dad means that I shouldn't give my kid everything they always ask for. Because I'm not the world's worst dad. If I gave my kid, my little boy Haddon, who's four, he was, he was up here earlier uh, singing with us this morning. If I gave him everything that he wanted, every, every meal would be ice cream and Oreos. Three times a day, that's all he would eat. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, ice cream and Oreos. And snacks would be like, I, I don't know, fruit roll-ups or something. I, he, like, that's what he would eat all day, every day. That, that would be it if he got what he wanted. If, if he did what he wanted, all he would do is sit around and watch Spider-Man on repeat constantly. He wouldn't go outside. He wouldn't do anything. He wouldn't experience anything new. He would just watch the same movie again and again and again. This morning, he literally walked in here in a Spider-Man costume. He would wear that every single day if I just let him do whatever he wants to do. That's, but because I'm not the world's worst dad, I don't let him do everything he wants to do. I don't answer every single one of his requests. With, with here's exactly what you want. If he's hungry, I know he needs good food. And so I give him good food. 
not ice cream and Oreos every single time. When he's thirsty, I, I give him water or milk, not Mountain Dew or espresso, because I don't want to deal with the consequences of it, but more because it's not good for him. In the same way, God gives good gifts. He gives good gifts to his children. When we ask in prayer, he answers. It may not always be exactly what you want or exactly how you ask for it, but he was going to provide for those in need. Let me give you a more specific example of this from Scripture. In Genesis 17, uh, God has promised Abraham uh, that he is going to bear a son. That's more specifically, his wife Sarah is going to bear a son. And from the, his line, from this child, a whole nation is going to be birthed. And from that nation, from that line, is going to come one who blesses all the nations of the earth. That Jesus is going to come from this line. And Abraham and his wife are growing older and older and older, and she's barren, and she, she can't have sons. And so Sarah comes up with this idea. It's like, what if you, what if you, what if you, what if you had a kid with my, with my servant, right? What if you had a kid with my servant? And, and then God could just answer all these promises through, through him. And so Abraham does. And his servant has a little boy, and his name's Ishmael. And, and, and Abraham's like, here, here it is. I found the solution. And I want you to see what happens. God says this in verse 16, Genesis 17, verse 16. He says, I will bless her, her being Sarah, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall, and she shall become nations. Kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, so here's Abraham's prayer. Abraham says to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. That Ishmael would be the one. That this, this, that this child that I had with, with Sarah's servant, Ishmael, he might be the one that would live before you. And God answers, and God said, No. 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 But Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. As for Ishmael, I have heard you. Behold, I will bless him and make him fruitful and multiply him greatly. He shall father twelve princes, and I will make him into a great nation. Right? So here it is, right? Does Abraham hear does, does God hear Abraham's prayer? Yes. Does God answer Abraham's prayer? Yes. Isn't that your question? Yes, he does. Does he answer Abraham's prayer exactly how Abraham wants him to answer it? No. Is it for Abraham's good? Yes. Is it for the good of his people? Yes. So even, even as God hears and God answers, it's seemingly, seemingly, it was, God is not answering in the way that Abraham would want him to. But he is. He's answering for his good and for the good of his people. Here is the promise of God. Not that he will always give you everything you want when you ask. Not even every good thing you ask will be given. But every prayer will be answered with good for those who love him for those who are called according to his promise, right? Romans 8, 
28 famously says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Wait, we love that verse. And more than we love it, we love to misquote it, right? God works all things for our good. Well, it's not what it says. For those who love him, he is working all things for their good. For those who are called according to his purpose. Do you love him? Is he your greatest treasure and your greatest delight and your greatest joy? Are you living your life according to his purpose, according to his will? Have you submitted your life to the rule and reign of Jesus? Speaking of Jesus, Jesus also prays to God in the Garden of Gethsemane, right? The night that Jesus was betrayed, Jesus prays to his Father, and he says, man, let this cup pass from me. If this is your will, I don't want to drink it. I don't want, I don't want to go to the cross, I don't want to endure the pain. If it's your will, let it pass from me. Later on, he prays again. He says, man, but if it is your will, I will drink it. I will. I love you. And I will live according to your purpose. Come what may, I will live according to your purpose. But I, I, don't, I don't want this. Does God hear the prayer of Jesus? Yes, he does. Does he answer it? Yes, he does. Is it exactly how he wants it to be? No, it's not. No, it's not. But is it for his good? He is raised from the dead and he sits at the right hand of the throne of God as the king above all kings. Yes, it is for his good. And it's for your good and for my good. We have been rescued and redeemed through that act of Christ. Christ drinking the cup, the cup of the wrath of God on the cross so that you and I wouldn't have to. His blood covers us so that we don't have to be punished for our sins, that we can be forgiven through the blood of Christ. Through the act of the cross, we have forgiveness. We, it's the grace and mercy of God on display for us. And so we can go to him and we can pray. And he will hear us. And he will heal us. He will rescue us and redeem us by the blood of Christ. Just as he rescued and redeemed David. He will hear us when we cry out and we confess our sin before him. He will come and he will rescue you. It may not be exactly how you want or how you think it should be. But he will respond for our good. God hears us. And he answers. He hears and he answers. We can go to him right now and he will hear you and he will answer. Second, we are transformed. What happens when we pray? God hears and God answers. And we are transformed. Not just by the answer of prayer, but by prayer itself. Not just by the answer of prayer, but by prayer itself. Prayer transforms us. So often people say prayer changes everything. And I wonder if we really know just how true that actually is. Prayer transforms us, not just in the way that God may have answered, but it produces in us prayer. The act of prayer produces in us greater praise and greater faith and greater comfort, and greater hope, and greater love of God, greater joy, greater intimacy with God, greater knowledge of his love towards us. And this is one of the main thrusts of this psalm, Psalm 34. This is what David is trying to awaken his hearers, you and I, and his friends and his family. This is what he's trying to awaken us to. 
that prayer transforms us. David has been transformed by answered prayer into a man of praise, right? Verses 1 through 3 that we looked at last week, David has been transformed into a man of praise. He says, man, praise will be constantly, always on my lips. My soul makes his boast in the Lord. David has been transformed through prayer into a man of praise. But there's more than that. David has been freed from fear. We see it in verse 4. I sought the Lord and he answered me, and he delivered me from all of my fears. From all of my fears. Think about it for a minute. David is on the run from his life from King Saul. King Saul is trying to hunt him with an army of men. And David says, man, I have been delivered from all of my fears. I can call all of my friends and family into this cave, and we can sing with joy the praises of God. And I don't care who hears. I don't care if the Philistines come back. I don't care if Saul finds me. I've been delivered from all my fears. Why can he say that? Because he knows that God has saved him from the Philistine king. God has rescued him from the Philistine king. And if God today heard his prayers and saved him, how much more will he save him tomorrow? When we pray for our daily bread and God provides and cares for us today, how much more are his mercies new every morning? We know that when he answers our prayer, that he is faithful and will again and again and again, that he loves us. And David knows in this moment, God loves me, he will protect me, he will watch over me, and I've been delivered from all of my fears. He's been transformed from a man of fear into a man of praise. Prayer has transformed David. He's been freed from his fears. Number two, we see that David um, desires for his hearers to also be transformed through prayer. I mean, he has a burden. He wants us to experience this. He wants us to be transformed, and he knows that prayer transforms us. He says in verse 5, Those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. David says, I want you to know that people who are marked by prayer, are different than those who do not pray. There's a difference between people who are prayers and people who are not. Their faces are radiant. They draw near to God. And as Moses goes up on the mountain and comes back and he's glowing, in the same way those who draw near to God, they they are transformed through the act of prayer. Not by the answer of prayer, but by the act of prayer. By being with God, they're transformed. I have these two groups of guys from, from my past um, that we get together every single summer. Every year we get together, um, and it's a transformative experience for me, right? We go away together. We do crazy stuff. Uh, I have this group of guys from high school, and we get together every year. And uh, last year we climbed Mount Whitney. Next year we're going to climb the Grand Teton. We're always doing these crazy things and pushing ourselves. But the, these men have been in my life for so long because they're incredible men of God. And there's, there's, there's a longing and a desire in my heart to be with them because of how much they love Jesus. And when I'm with them, I'm transformed. I radiate them in a way, right? I come back from these trips and I say, man, I want to be more like these guys. I want to love my wife better. I want to be a better dad. I want to be a better friend. I want to love Jesus more. I want to be a better pastor. I have another group of guys from 
uh, my days at Penn State University when we were doing college ministry together. And every year we'd be together with these, with these three guys and uh, we meet up and we go do crazy stuff together. And every time in the same way I come back, I say, I want to love Jesus more because of the way these guys love Jesus. And I want to be a better pastor because of the way these guys love their churches. I radiate them because I spend time with them. In the same way as we pray, we are spending time with the God of the universe. Prayer moves the hand that moves the world, as Spurgeon says, right? We are spending time with the God of all things. We're in his presence. We're with him. How much more will we radiate him than, than, than we will some group of friends? And I, and I love those men, but the reality is they're, they're fallen, fallible men, you can, right now, you can spend time with the perfect, beautiful, splendorous, wonderful God of all things who loves you, has rescued and redeemed you. And you can leave that time with him, radiating, longing to be more like him, to be transformed from one degree of glory to another into the likeness of his son. People who live lives of prayer are filled daily with all of that and more by the God of the universe. David says in Psalm 27, verse 4, he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord that I would seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I would be in prayer all of the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. I want to be with him. And prayer is how we do that. Lastly, um, we see that prayer transforms us into prayers, right? David is now, he's been transformed into a man of prayer. I want to spend more time in prayer, right? Because of my prayer, I want to spend more time in prayer. I want to be with God more because I've been with God, right? This is what prayer does. The more we pray, the more we desire to pray. Brother Lawrence um, was this uh, French Catholic monk, and he was really, he was really a nobody, Right? Um, he couldn't hack it as a priest. They wouldn't let him become a priest. Um, and so he, they, they gave him a job, and his job was to wash dishes. That's what Brother Lawrence did. He washed dishes in the monastery, and he would cook meals and dinner. But primarily, his job was to wash dishes, scrub pots and pans, and clean up after monks. Um, that's, what, that's what he did. But Brother Lawrence became famous because he had developed such an intimacy, such a constant intimacy, a constant presence with God, that he was always, always with God, always focused on and aware of God's presence in his life. And so all these famous cardinals and bishops would, would write to him and say, man, tell me more. How do I live like you live? This nobody, this dishwasher, how do I, how do I become more like you? That's what I want to be like. And Brother Lawrence would write them back and these letters, and they've been collected, and they're put in a work called Practicing the Presence of God by Brother Lawrence. And you get, it's a small book. We've given it out for free a bunch here at Flourishing Grace. You can find it online. But in that work, he says this in one of these letters. He says, in order to form a habit of communing with God continually and committing everything we do to him, we must at first make a special effort. Brother Lawrence says, it's hard work. It's not easy. This is not easy. This is hard work. You must make a special effort. You're going to have to say no to some things in order to say yes to this. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to fight for this. You're going to have to want it. You're going to have to work for it. But then he goes on and says this. After a while, 
we find that his love inwardly inspires us to do all things for him effortlessly. You see, the habit of prayer produces an intimacy with God that produces within us a desire for more prayer. And we begin to do this effortlessly because of what God is doing in us, because prayer, the act of prayer, is transforming us. This is why John talked earlier about path groups. This is why path groups are so important, because path groups are designed to build healthy habits in our lives. And one of those habits is a habit of prayer, constantly being in prayer. So that path groups course on the 28th is so critical for the life of our church and for the life of so many in this room, because we, say, we realize this is hard work. There's a special effort that's going to have to be made. It's just like going to the gym. If you go to the gym by yourself, you're going to drop out. You're going to quit. But when you go with a group of guys or a group of gals who are pushing you every day, let's go, let's go. And you're waking up, and you're waking up because you know you, have, you, you, know you can't miss it because they're going to be there. Right? You begin to form habits. In the same way, path groups form ha- healthy habits spiritually so that one day they will become effortless for us. Prayer transforms us into prayers. And I really believe this is the whole point of the psalm. David's life has been so enriched through prayer, and specifically this moment of his life, that he is calling his friends and his readers, you and me, to be a people who also live lives before the Lord. This brings us to the last point. People of prayer are transformed, and they become people who call others and exhort others to also pray. They call others to become prayers. This is what David is doing. David is moved out of fear and into exhortation. He's calling us to become people of prayer because he's been so enriched through prayer. If you look at even the structure of the, this, the psalm, and, and specifically these verses that we're looking at today, look at verse 4. Who's the subject of verse 4? Who's the subject of verse 4? David. Yes. It's the very first word. I. I sought the Lord, and he answered me and delivered me from all of my fears. Look at what God has done through prayer. It's amazing. But then look at the next verse. Those. So about you and me, his audience, those who look on him are radiant. Their faces should never be ashamed. And he goes back to himself. This poor man, he's talking about himself. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. And he goes back to us. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Listen. This is what David is doing. He's calling his audience. He's calling you and me. He's calling his friends to be a people of prayer. Listen, this is what God has done in my life, and he can do the same in yours. This is how prayer has transformed me, and it will transform you in the same way. He's calling us to be a people of prayer. You know prayers, people who live lives of prayer, because they're always talking about prayer, and they're always calling you to it. 
You know people who live lives of prayer. You know people who live prayer-saturated lives. You know who the prayers are because they're always talking about it. Listen, have you read this book on prayer? Have you, have you listened to this sermon on prayer? I mean, have you, what are you praying for recently? Can I, how can I pray for you? Listen, I, mean, I was praying the other day, and this is what God did. They're always talking about prayer. They can't not talk about it because prayer is so enriching their lives. And this is what David is doing in this psalm. He's calling us to be a people of prayer because prayer has transformed him. I love how Paul does this. Paul does the same thing. Paul is obviously a man of prayer. He does the same thing in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 1, 10 through 11, Paul says this. He's writing this church in Corinth, and he says, He, God, delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us. He's seen the same thing that David says. Man, look what God has done. It's amazing, and he's going to continue to do it. On him we have set our hope that he will deliver us again. Now look at the verse 11. You also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. This is amazing. If you actually like look at what Paul's doing here. He's calling the church in Corinth to pray for him a prayer that he already knows, regardless of whether or not they pray or not, God is going to answer that prayer because God has already answered. He's delivered them, and he's going to continue to deliver them. Paul knows that God is, he has this confidence, this hope in God, but he calls them to pray anyways. I want you guys to pray for me anyways. Why? So that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessings granted us through the prayers of Many. I want you to pray for me, not necessarily because I believe that God's going to do something different, because I've already prayed and I already have confidence that he's already going to do it, but I want you to pray so that many will know and many will give thanks. Many will be moved to prayer. Many will be moved to praise because of your prayers. I want you to help me in prayer so that others will be helped to prayer. It's beautiful. Paul wants more people to pray. Who are you helping by prayer? Are you helping us by prayer? Are, are you fervently praying for others? Are you fervently praying for your church? Are you, are, you, do you, are you subscribed to that prayer request email that goes out every single week with all the requests of the church that we write down in this room every Sunday morning? Are you, are you praying for them? Are you praying so that many will be moved to prayer? That's what John said this morning, right? And we don't want to be people who just write down prayer requests. But when God answers prayer, we want to share the answers of prayer so that we'll be moved to, to praise and that we will be moved to more prayer. But first, we must be a people of prayer so that others might be moved to prayer. Are you so enriched by your prayer life that you cannot help but call others to prayer. And again, so many of us, we go back to this, so many of us say, man, I just, I've tried and I just can't, I just, I don't have time, I, didn't, I, just, I just can't get around to it, I, I just don't, I'm, I'm inconsistent. I love how Spurgeon calls us out in the way that only Spurgeon can. He says, why cannot men find time for prayer? The only answer is because they do not love it. Prayers love Prayer. Not the answer to prayer. Y yes, I'm sure that they love that as well. But prayers love prayer. 
because they realize that the act of prayer itself is transforming them. The act of prayer itself is transforming them. They love to be near God because they love him. They love to be near God because it's transforming them. And they're constantly calling others to prayer. Movements of prayer and revival are always produced. If you study revivals, it's produced by one person or a small group of people who are prayers. They're constantly living prayer-saturated lives. And, and out of that, they call groups of people to prayer, to pray. You must pray too. Pray with us. And as those groups become not just people who pray, but prayers, people who give their lives to prayer, who also fall in love with prayer, revivals and movements of God are birthed out of that as people. The people of the church get excited about prayer. And David is trying to excite us. He's trying to excite his friends. He's trying to excite, excite his family. He's trying to excite his hearers. He's trying to excite you to prayer. He said, I have been transformed through prayer. Pray with me. You too will be transformed. If you can create a habit of prayer, a person of prayer calls people to pray. It's what we do. This is what David is doing. He says, man, I will never cease to praise him. His, his praises will constantly be on my lips. I sought the Lord and he answered me. I sought the Lord and he answered me. And those who look on him are radiant. You too can do this. You too can be like me. This poor man cried, and the Lord heard me. He delivered me from all of my enemies. The God of all things has transformed my life through prayer. You too can be like this. Because the angel of the Lord encamps those who look on him. The Son of God encamps around those. He will deliver you. Oh, taste and see. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. How do we taste and see that the Lord is good? How do we do that if not by prayer? How do, you, how do you experience the presence of the Lord? How do you experience the gifts of the Lord, if not by prayer? People of prayer are the only ones who can actually taste and see that the Lord is good. Because people of prayer are the ones who are drawn near to them. The people of prayer are the ones who are creating intimacy. The people of prayer are the ones who are requesting things. Of them. And the people of prayer are the ones whom he is hearing and answering. We must be a people of prayer if we're going to taste and see that the Lord is good. And here at Flourishing Grace, man, I, I want you guys to know the goodness of God. I want you to know how sweet he is. I want you to know how beautiful he is. I want you to know how powerful he is. But you will never know those things if not by prayer. This is why David is getting so fired up and so excited and is pushing prayer. So, he said, come, come and pray with me. Let's magnify the Lord together. Let's exalt his name. My prayer this morning is that you would be excited to prayer, that you would know it's hard, that you would know you're going to need people in your life who are going to come alongside you and who are going to push you and who are going to encourage you in this. But that in the end of it, as you become a prayer, as you become a person of prayer, that you would taste and see that the Lord is good. And so real quick, for those of you who are in the room that would say, man, I'm just, that's not who I am. If you're just honest with yourself, I'm not calling you out. I'm just saying, you you would say, like, I'm not a person of prayer. I struggle in this. I want to challenge you this morning to begin to work at this, to do the work that Brother Lawrence talks about, to, to to just be consistent in prayer. And so maybe you say, okay, in the morning when my alarm gets up before I do anything else, as my feet hit the ground, so do my knees. 
And I'll, I'll practice kneeling prayer three times a day. I'll, I'll pray in the morning, and I'll ask God to bless my day, to give us this day our daily bread. I'll pray a prayer over my day. And maybe you need to set an alarm on your phone or on your watch that will remind you midday to once again get on your knees. And maybe midday we pray for one, right? We talk about this all the time here at Flourishing Grace, to pray for one person in our life that doesn't know Jesus yet, that they would come they would t- t- to know him, that they'd experience a flourishing relationship with Jesus, that they'd give their life to him, they'd s- they would see him as the king of all kings. Maybe at noon we were praying that prayer together every single day. And then finally, before our head hits the pillow at night, our knees hit the floor one more time. And we just look back over our day and we pray a prayer of thanksgiving and we look for all the ways that God has been faithful and kind to us in that day. We look past all of the inconveniences and all of the kind of failed experiences and we find the goodness of God through our day and we praise him in the evening. We go to him in the morning, we go to him in the afternoon and we praise him at, at night. Might that be a regular rhythm for us here at Flourishing Grace? And for those of you in the room who would say, man, I am doing that. I am practicing kneeling prayer three times a day. I have an enriched prayer life, and I love prayer. I love, you know I love prayer because I'm always talking about prayer. And for those of you who would say, man, that's, that's me. That's true of me. What does it look for, like for us to begin to write down our prayers and to keep track of when God answers prayer so that we can share those things with the church, so that we can be like David and say, come exalt the Lord. Come magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Look at what he's done. Look at what he's done. You too can come and taste and see that the Lord is good. Let us be a people who are transformed through prayer. Amen? Amen. Let me pray for you guys. Let's pray together. Actually, right now in this moment, I'm just going to invite you to bow your heads. And I want to give you a minute to just pray. For those of us in the room who maybe struggle in prayer, we don't always know what to say. We don't always know um, how, how to do it. I want to give you a minute just now to just talk to God. He's, he's here. He is with us. He's, he's always near in every moment of our life. So just speak to him. Let us be people who confess that we are weak in prayer, that we want to grow in prayer, that we need the Spirit to to groan on our behalf, to cry out on our behalf when we don't have the words, when we don't know what to say, when when we don't feel like doing it. Let us ask God to to grow us in prayer and to transform us through it. Let's just take a minute now to, to confess that, to ask that, to pray that. Give you a minute now. Father, this morning in this place, we acknowledge that you are a loving God who hears and answers our prayers. That as we love you, as we live our lives according to your purpose, that you are working all things for our good. You are transforming us through prayer. And so I pray that you would transform us into a a church of prayer, a people who are 
constantly giving ourselves to prayer, that in our moments of trouble, we're quick to pray. In the moments of trouble for our friends, we're quick to pray. And in our moments of, of rejoicing, when things go our way, that we're quick to praise you. That right now, right now, we would praise God. No, we wouldn't wait till later. That we would do it now. We would be people of constant prayer. People who are delighting in prayer. And being with you and being near you. And that we'd be people who are so enriched by prayer that we'd be teaching, calling, and exhorting others to become people of prayer. Would you transform your church and transform us, each one of us, by making us into a people of prayer. Help us to form those habits. Draw near to us. For these things in Jesus' name, amen.